0: This is Salt and Spine.
1: I wanted each recipe I selected to be a winner. And I just studied the recipes that resonated with me and like how they were written. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to write my recipes like I'm in the kitchen talking to one of my friends.
0: Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. You just heard from today's guest, Valerie Lomas. Valerie grew up in southern Louisiana, learning to cook from her mother and her grandmothers. In fact, as a child, her signature dish was making her grandmother Leona's strawberry delight. Now, she didn't always plan to be a baker. Valerie went to USC to study pre-med, and it was only because of a requirement to study foreign languages that she stumbled into learning French and eventually abandoned that pre-med track for French and psychology. Valerie graduated into the recession of 2008, and finding a job was difficult. The job she did find wasn't the best fit for her, so she turned to blogging about baking after seeing Julie and Julia. Her blogging led to more opportunities, and she was eventually cast in The Great American Baking Show, which she won. That season, however, was never aired due to sexual harassment allegations against one of the hosts, and her victory was essentially swept under the rug. Valerie writes in her debut cookbook quote, My victory, like so many accomplishments of Black women who came before me, had been effectively erased. I couldn't help but think I was seen as a cheap victim. If I weren't a woman, a Black woman, would I have been treated differently? But Valerie didn't let this stop her. Instead, she pivoted full time into a career in food media and is now out with her first cookbook, aptly titled Life is What You Bake It. In today's interview, you'll hear about making the switch from a practicing attorney to a full-time food writer and baker, what it was like to find out that one of her biggest accomplishments would never be aired on television, and you'll get some very practical and encouraging advice from one home baker to another. So we've got a great show for you today. We've got featured recipes from the book, and of course, we're putting Valerie to the test in our signature culinary game. So let's head now to our virtual studio, where Valerie Lomas joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Valerie. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine.
1: Thanks, Brian. Excited to chat with you.
0: Yes, we are thrilled to have you on the show and to talk about your first cookbook, Life is What You Bake It, which is just beautiful. I've been poring over my copy the past few days. um, So congratulations, first of all. Thank you. And we'd love to always start just by talking a little bit more about you and your life and how you sort of fell into this career and into this industry and then come back to the cookbook as we talk. So I'd love to just start right at the beginning. I know you grew up in Louisiana and you write with some length in the book about food or in your childhood and some of the memories you have. But can you start just by painting us a little bit of a picture around how food was playing a part in your life as you were growing up?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I was born and raised in Baton Rouge. And, you know, it has such a a strong and intense food culture. And what that culture really does is it kind of like weaves together the community and so many community functions. And food was definitely, it was definitely something that you do with other people. You do it at family celebrations or at after church gatherings. Food was just important and also like fresh produce. My mm-hmm. grandmother, she had fig trees and you know I have a cousin and we would go to his house and we would pick strawberries and um, you know, the neighbor would have a lemon tree. So you'd get lemons. Um, right. Yeah. And that was definitely just all like normal or like, you know, walking home from school and you wander into a neighbor's backyard and you gather some pecans in your backpack. Um, so, you know, my upbringing, it was very much like interwoven with food and my mother and both of my grandmothers, amazing bakers and you know, it was something we did during the holidays, baking. And it was very important that we bake certain family recipes every Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter. My mom, she was definitely like the steward of all of those traditions. So you know, yeah, my upbringing definitely was very much immersed in food. But it was so in a way that was it wasn't necessarily anyone's profession. But it was, you know, very much a part of our lives.
0: Yeah. And you write about both of your grandmothers quite frequently throughout the book, Willie May and Leona. And I think Willie May lived in Louisiana yes, yes. with you yes. and Leona was in the Midwest. And you're exposed to a lot of their cooking, their baking, your mother as well. When did you sort of, was there a point where you transitioned from being interested in consuming and observing to actually getting your hands into the baking and the cooking yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say it was pretty early on because, um, again, like, you know, I have the kind of mother who was like, all right, you're going to learn this. You're going to learn, you know, Grandma Leona's Strawberry Delight. And that's the recipe you are going to make every Christmas. Whereas my older sister, she had Aunt Hester's dinner roll recipe. So, you know, I, I had my hands dirty at a very early age, like from since I can remember, I was literally like patting in the press and crust on that no-bake cheesecake dish or gathering strawberries outside. So I definitely was, you know, I I was baking at an early age, yes. And then even, I think I was nine when I went to my grandma Willie Mae's house um, because my mom was like, you need to go learn how to make her signature cake.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, and my mother, she had gotten me this beautiful recipe book for Christmas um a couple years prior and i know that cuz she signed it and put 19 december 1992 and this was you know very much the analog world so i went over there with my little my little recipe book and a pen and i went there and you know my grandma she's not a big talker but you know i was taking notes and and that recipe i, I got to share in this book so that was really special to to actually be able to like document those very special heirloom recipes and share with everyone.
0: Yeah. And I imagine maybe for your grandmothers in particular, they probably were not relying on recipes. They're cooking recipes that are just ingrained. Yeah.
1: It was, it was a mix of both actually. Yeah. So like, I remember like that recipe in particular and the name of it is, we called it a million dollar cake. So I think I call it in the book, granny, granny, Willie Mae's million dollar cake. And I got to her house and she actually, she pulled out this, like tattered and browned recipe cut out of a newspaper. I don't know how old that newspaper was, but that was like for the base layers of the cake, which is actually a one, two, three, four cake. And for people who bake, it's like a, it's a cake where um, those are just the proportions of like eggs, butter, milk, sugar. And um but, you know, she made it her own with the filling and with the frosting. But yeah, so they did rely on recipes, but they also did things by just by feeling and by knowing what something is supposed to look like. And that might be like biscuits or or pancakes or something like that.
0: So you, you're growing up exposed to all of these wonderful women in your life and your family who are cooking, who are baking. I think it... Tell me if I'm wrong here, but at the time that you decide where to go to college and what to do, like you're not thinking about food as a career. Um, and I think, did you originally major in French or like tell us a little bit about what you thought you were going to do as you moved to then California and enrolled in college? What did that look like for you at that time?
1: Yeah, I was definitely not even considering food as a career. It wasn't on my radar, it wasn't something that I even new to think about, um, okay. which is interesting because I, I think I was drawn to it this whole time, but, you know, I, I went to a, a I was very academic oriented my whole schooling career. Um, okay. so I went to college at the university of Southern Cal and I, I was pre-med and oh,
0: pre-med. Okay.
1: Yeah. And there was a requirement that you have to take three semesters of a foreign language, Um, And, you know, I had taken the AP classes in high school and I had one semester left and they were like, come to France for the summer and, you know, get that last requirement out of the way. And I remember they said, if you were a French major, you had a better chance at getting a scholarship. So I added French as a major to kind of like game the system. (laughs) Little did I know the system would game me because (laughs) um, (laughs) I went to France that summer and Before I left to go back home, I went online, I changed all of my classes. Uh, I was like, I'm ditching pre-med and I became a double major in French and psychology. And I went on to study abroad again, my junior year. You know, I I went to law school because you you don't have to like be pre-law to go to law school, you can major in anything. And I Uh definitely thought, yeah, that was gonna be my career. And I do think it's something that, um, under different circumstances, I just think everything would have worked out differently. But because I graduated into the recession, that, you know, 2008 2009 recession that really affected my graduating class yeah, because of that, I wasn't able to like have my choice of the type of legal job I wanted. It was more of like, get in where you fit in, you have a job, be grateful. But it wasn't the best fit. And so I think because of that, I ended up just dissatisfied. And, um, and I leaned into something that was satisfying and that made me happy. And that was cooking and baking and writing recipes and sharing it with people through my blog.
0: Yeah and you you did that in a number of ways. One is the blog. Can you tell us how the blog started? I think I have read that you, you were at least partially inspired from watching the movie Julie and Julia and feeling yeah. like you should you should do something similar and started baking and blogging every day.
1: Yeah, I forget that I was kind of inspired by that, but I was. Okay. Um and you know like the food blog wasn't my first blog. I I think I had a few okay. prior like just my musings about going from like <laughs> Louisiana to Los Angeles but the sure. food blog is the one that stuck and I think it's because I had that passion for cooking and for baking that was intertwined in it but I think that that like wanting to tell a story had been there and yeah you know I was starting my last year of law school I didn't have a job lined up um which which was really uh really difficult for me to deal with because it wasn't something that I had expected or planned. And I'm sure anyone who, you know, was graduating in the past year or two can relate to, to that feeling where, you know, the rug, you feel like the rug is kind of ripped from under you. And, um, you know, and like at the time I was 24 and instead of like, you know, figuring out like how to make it work, I was like, "Eh, I'm just going to take a break. Um, that last year of law school. And I was like, I'm mm, just gonna like pour myself into, into something else. And for me, that was this blog.
0: And and you sort of kept pouring yourself even on on the side, right? Because then you you end up, well, you graduate and you go back to France for a little bit, right? After you take the bar, there's this yeah. connection to France, I think that's really strong for you. And I'm curious to know more about how that influenced you as a baker too, because it shows up very prominently in the book. Um, but you you- do land a job as an attorney in New York. And even then you're still finding ways you have the blog, but then you start baking and selling macarons on the side and weekends. Right. Can you tell us how you sort of cobbled these things together in that window where you were, you know, still pursuing your law career while also trying to find a way to make this passion work?
1: Yeah. So, um, You know, when I, when I finished school, I went to France for a year because like, I actually, I didn't apply for a single job that year, like, because I was just like, so I was like, (laughs) I mean, like I said, looking back, it's like, okay, I really dealt with this in a, in a a different way than I would now, but that's maturity for you. Um, but, (laughs) but yeah, so while I was in France that year, um, I had a roommate and she had a cookbook, a macaroon cookbook. And even though she was by no means a baker, uh, she made macaroons. And I was like, whoa. I was like, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. Um, <laughs> and I actually decided to start selling macaroons when I got back to New York before I even knew how to make them. Um I just knew I, I liked them. It was, I think at this time it was like 2011. They were very like fashionable and very much coming on the scene. And I thought they were adorable. So I was like, I'm going to sell them. Um, So yeah, so I moved to New York and, you know, I, I took the New York bar exam and um, I got a job as a lawyer and I was, you know, I've, I've followed through on my desire to, learn how to make macaroons which I document in the book cuz it wasn't like as easy as it was for my roommate. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I was committed. So yeah. <laughs> I learned how to make them. I was selling them on the weekends and people loved them and you know I it, I just got to a point where I was actually taking time off of work to prepare for a weekend markets. And you know I I didn't feel that I had the business savvy at the time. And I really wanted to kind of just like, in a way, like, consummate my law degree, do something with it. So I felt like the timing wasn't right. And so I just kind of walked away from that. And that was a good like five years before I really like moved back into the baking world in earnest.
0: Yeah. How did that feel? That five period window? Was it constantly on your mind? Like, did it how did it feel to walk away and then spend several years really trying to focus in an area that I think ultimately you decided wasn't, wasn't right for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's something that I had to do. I think that period had to be part of my journey. Otherwise there might've been a part of me that thought, you know, maybe I, maybe I do want to practice law, but you know, during that period I was still baking. I just wasn't doing it as often. But I was still, you know, like finding recipes and, and making sure. them and I would blog occasionally. But it was really those moments, you know, where I was making something every day, twice a day, I was putting in those hours that I really grew as a baker. So I would say those other periods, it was kind of like, a, um it was like a growth period where um I think for me, it had to happen so that when I got to the point where I did a few years ago, walking away from my job, which some people saw as like risky. um, I didn't because I knew it had to happen at that moment. But um, I think all of that just kind of like built the scene for me to just really like get some miles under my belt because I didn't go to culinary school. Um, You know, I was forging my own path in many ways. And it wasn't a path that I knew, or like I said, that I even knew was available to me as a real career
0: yeah let's let's talk about that moment then that's a great transition to that decision to leave your law career because that is a prompted by um, your being casted in the great American baking show. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened? I think they just, they reached out to you, right? Purely because of the work that you'd been doing um, on your blog and on Instagram and said, we're interested, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I mean, after my little like five year hiatus, I got on Instagram and that changed everything. Uh And I was now connecting with this whole world of baking that I hadn't connected with before. And I ended up auditioning for the Great American Baking Show. I was cast. I went to London, filmed for five weeks. I won the whole thing. I came home and I was just right. like, you know, just like kind of like, whoa. It felt like so many opportunities were going to open up once the show had aired, which ended up not happening due to, you know, a lot of stuff. Well, ev- due to stuff completely outside of my control but it was during that time frame that i think it was it was because i had been working as an attorney and then baking nights weekends mornings days off for years at that point you know mm-hmm. after my 5 year hiatus there were about 3 years where i was doing everything all at the same time And I was just running off of like passion and dreams and adrenaline. And when I went on the show and I won, and then it ended up being pulled off the air, it was like, it just took something out of me. And I didn't have the energy to like stay at that pace anymore. So I knew then if I wanted to continue baking, and if I wanted to give myself a real chance I had to step away from my job because I didn't have the energy to do both anymore. And it, it still took me some months. It took me another like four months or so after the show got pulled off the air before I really decided like, all right, we're going to do this. The time is now. I, you know, I asked myself, what's the worst that can happen? There is no worse. It was, for me, it was giving myself the chance mm-hmm. That was like
0: the real thing that I won. We'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with Valerie Lomas, author of Life is What You Bake It.
2: I'm Cleo Worster, Salt and Spine producer. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Salt and Spine, where you'll find the chance to win copies of featured cookbooks as well as recipes from the books. Each week, we love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin to Nigella Lawson to Samin Nosrat and Carla Hall, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring interviews with your favorite authors. If you're a new listener, check out our catalog of more than 100 interviews with cookbook authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes hold cookbook giveaways for listeners like you, and so much more. We can only do it thanks to listeners like you. The best way to support our work here at Salt and Spine is by subscribing to our Patreon page. You can join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just $2 a month. Subscribers receive early access to events, opportunities to win signed cookbooks, and bonus content. You can find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at www.patreon.com slash Salt and spine.
0: And now back to our conversation with Valerie Lomas, author of Life is What You Bake It. I think it's interesting because I think maybe some of our listeners know why the the season was canceled, but there were, you know, sexual harassment allegations and harassment allegations against one of the judges, and then they just scrapped the entire season. And you write about this a little bit in the book because you say that 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 victory, your victory winning the season. Uh, like so many accomplishments of Black women who came before me was effectively erased, and that you, in some ways, were a cheap victim, and that you you had questioned, you know, if you weren't a woman, if you weren't in particular a Black woman, would the outcome have been different? And I'm just really curious, I th- I know you've talked about this in other interviews and things, but if you can share just a little bit about how you responded in that situation, because you had had this incredible victory. You were the first black person to win any of the great the great baking show spinoffs or or series globally, and it was just erased. And it could have been you know easy to just say pivot back to your law career, or not sort of like put yourself out there and not sort of make a a decision to leave your, your law job and pursue food media. So it just feels like this really compelling time where I think we could learn a lot from how you responded.
1: You know, here's the thing, I think that just having overcome adversity in the past, whether it was something major or something, you know, like studying for the bar exam, (laughs) sure, (laughs) which is really an adverse thing. It's when you're in one of those situations, and you think that you've given it everything you have to give, but sometimes more is required. I learned that I have another gear that I can go into. So Uh even though it felt like, you know, I was completely like, you know, it knocked the air out of me and I felt like I didn't have much left. I knew there was another gear I could go into if I just approached things a little bit differently and I didn't just melt into a puddle. Yeah. So, you know, when the show got pulled off the air, I think there might've even been an expectation for us to just kind of like swallow it and accept it. But, you know, I reached out to my network immediately and, you know, that's a benefit of going to school in Los Angeles is- Uh, there are people who, (laughs) who, um, you know, I have friends who had publicists and that kind of thing. Sure. And what, you know, one of them put me in touch with a publicist and she, she had people tune in when they made this very small little announcement. And because of that, that got this like snowball effect of media actually covering the story. I think it was, but I was just like, I'm not going to just sit here and like, not talk about this i'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it like I won this show. You're not gonna get to see yeah. it, but it happened like I was there. other people were there. we baked for five weeks. we sacrificed, we didn't get anything in return, like we weren't paid we you know there was no prize for winning and and you know you you think you're bargaining for something which is a chance to to have like real exposure. This was gonna air on a b c so um, yeah. so yeah, I think I just kind of like dug deep into that extra gear. And, you know, as disappointed as it was, I couldn't let that be the thing that I got out of it. I knew I needed to just hustle. And, and once it became a story, then it was like, I had some of, at least I had some of food media on my side. And it wasn't necessarily like the public saw this as a huge story, but it was enough of the right people to open up some doors so that I could continue to walk through them.
0: Yeah. I mean, you call it like a, it could have been a career defining disappointment um, is the term that you use in your book and you really capitalized and took charge and used the power that you had to tell that story. And it opened doors like this cookbook deal, right? I mean, it's all just sort of gone from, from that moment. And it's really I, I was really um, touched to see that the book is dedicated to your mother, Diane, that your both of your grandmothers feature so prominently in here because this sort of through line of resilience and overcoming adversity and just realizing your strength and embracing your passions feels like such a through line in sort of your career and your life through the book, but also there's this like, familial thing and this um, generational thing that we really see with your story. So I wonder how much of that was clear to you as you embarked on this cookbook project? Did you know how much of your family story and particularly your mother and your grandmother's and you know, we see your dad a little bit in the book too, uh, would be a part of that?
1: Yeah. You know, I definitely didn't know, but it was a question. I kept getting this question when I gave interviews, which was where do you get your strength from? And I'm like, Hmm. I never even like thought about myself in those terms, right? Where do you get your resilience from? It's not something I ever even like someone was like, describe yourself. I wouldn't use those terms. And, you know, as I dug deep to answer these questions and I thought about my own journey, it was so clear that their journeys had to had to come to play and when I thought about like how I felt like my accomplishments were very close to just being completely swept under the rug, I just thought about so many black women who came before me who have been cooking amazing food in this country for centuries and how we don't know their names. But but the stories of the women I do know in my family, my great great aunt, my two grandmothers, my mother, I could tell the stories that I do know about them. So that was like, just crucial for me. And, you know, it was very emotional as I was writing it. And even hearing you talk about how you received that I got a little bit emotional, because yeah, I didn't realize I was like undertaking this whole journey when it started. And I'm so glad I did.
0: Yeah, I am too. And um, those are some great examples. Another one that, that struck me was it's your Aunt Hester, right? The dinner rolls, which is a recipe that has been in your family for, I think, over 100 years. So I was, I was really thrilled to see that. There's another bit in the book, five bits of baker's wisdom that you offer to readers. And you mentioned, of course, earlier that you didn't go to culinary school, you're a, a self taught baker. Is there advice that you typically give? Like, what's your sort of core advice that you give to someone who says, I want to be a better baker, or I want to learn how to bake. And, you know, maybe I'm buying your cookbook. And what would you offer to that person?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what trips a lot of people up is just like being intimidated or being scared. And what I want people to get out of this book, I want to empower them to be better bakers or to bake at all or just to go pursue something that it is that they want to do. Um, So, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about practice bakes perfect, And I grew up playing piano. Anyone who's grown up playing piano, you definitely know the phrase practice makes perfect. Um, And as someone who's self-taught and as I was going through like rounds and rounds of like different things and just like screwing up, um, I would remind myself of that. And the thing about making mistakes, like especially with baking is, you know, if you mess something up, you will generally remember what it is you did that last time. So you don't do it again. And it just ends up making you a better baker. So sometimes we just have to go for it. Don't be scared. Like bake the cake, fry the donuts, you know, make that homemade pie crust. If you want, if you don't want, buy it from the store. That's good too.
0: Yeah, you, I, I love that you are very welcoming to store-bought pie crust or even you know the recipe for almond croissants uses croissant, uh, pr- store-bought croissants that are then gussied up with some filling and things. So I, I love that approach. And you mentioned donuts. I have to ask too, because there's a whole chapter on donuts and other fried things. And I was so happy to see that in the book as well. Is that something that came from your time in California or have you always been a donut person?
1: Yeah, you know, that... That actually came from the Great American Baking Show. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah. You know, when we got like the recipes that we had to submit, the second week was donuts. And even though I had made donuts several times before, they were never like that good because I was never like getting the frying right. And that's the thing about donuts. It's about how you fry them. Like if the oil's too hot, They'll cook on the outside, raw on the inside. If the oil's too cold, they'll soak up the grease before they're cooked. So um, it really came down to, I was like, I'm not going to let donuts take me out the second week of this show. So I was like committed to donuts and all of that hard work and commitment paid off. Um, And again, it's just like you put in the hours and then you're going to get really great results. And now donuts are like one of my signature recipes that I make and I love. And the old fashioned donuts, so many people Hmm. are making those. And that's just been a delight to see. And like the hush puppies, a lot of people are making those. And that's they're actually easy um, compared to like some of the other stuff that, you know, it's not a yeast raised dough you don't have to shape it you just kind of spoon it into the into the oil so seeing people take that on and just have so much success it's just really fulfilling
0: I love that. It's it's like um, Practice Bakes Perfect example right there, dedicating yourself to learning uh, how to perfect the donut and yes. other fried things. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Well, we're a show on cookbooks. So we always like to ask our guests about some of the works or authors that have inspired you and a little bit about how you relate to cookbooks. So I'm curious first if you could tell us, Do you remember? did you have cookbooks around when you were a kid? Do you remember growing up with cookbooks?
1: Yes, I had cookbooks. My mother, my mother had a bunch of cookbooks. And um, I think I was collecting them before I knew I was even collecting them. Because when I did decide to go on this baking journey, I had cookbooks. But you know, the like the cookbook that was in our home kitchen, that I think we went to the most. It was like the William Sonoma Essentials of Baking book. And, you know, later when I was in law school, I remember I had Martha Stewart's Cupcakes book. And, and it's crazy because like now we have the same publisher, like what? <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. Have you met her? Yeah.
1: Have I met her? No.
0: No. I would like okay. To. Yeah. She would be fun to, to me. Yeah.
1: that happen. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah. Um, and then I remember like for Christmas, I got Julia Childs french cooking book and
0: sure
1: yeah and that was like something you know b- b- before i had the blog actually I, I was you know i was like making her roast chicken and her green beans and i love like the french approach you know which is just simple good ingredients simple cooking and it's it's so different than what i grew up with in louisiana and i feel like my style it's kind of eclectic it's um you know i i I love my, I have, I love my pecan pie and my, uh, my beignets and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's like, I don't like desserts that are like sugary sweet or, um, you know, I want them to have flavor and I love a good lemon tart. I'm surprised there's only one lemon tart recipe in this book, but it's a very good lemon tart recipe. Um, yeah. <laughs> And it's it's got a surprise ingredient.
0: Yeah, that's great. You mentioned a couple there are there as you were embarking on writing your cookbook yourself, were there authors or works that were influential to you or inspirational to you or that you turned to? You mentioned a few, I know, um yeah. in the acknowledgments. Yes.
1: Oh. Yeah, um so there were definitely some books um and I'm 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 in my bedroom and my cookbook bookshelf is in my bedroom. That's how I feel oh, okay. about my <laughs> yes. But um, like when I was starting like my Instagram journey, you know, I was definitely inspired by Jocelyn Delk Adams. I bought her book Grand Baby Cakes. And yeah, you know, I knew that she like photographed it herself and it was just like wow. And you know as I was working on my own book, Kwame Anguachi's notes from a young black chef reading his book and seeing how well it resonated with people gave me courage to be honest and talk about the not glamorous parts. Because, you know, after being on Instagram for so long, where you just show the shiny, pretty side of things, um, you know, it it gave me courage to say like, oh, hey, you know, I was a lawyer, but like, I didn't have any money saved up. Like, (laughs) right. That kind of thing. His book definitely um, inspired me to just be honest. And um, Molly Ye's book, she, you know, she tells this beautiful story. And I was so impressed by her storytelling and how she wove that through the book. Um, Yet it was still a cookbook. um, So that was something I was definitely inspired by. And then um, just all, I'm like, all of the baking books, like, um, yeah. I'm very much a student of cookbooks and I wanted each recipe I selected to be a winner. And, you know, I, I just studied the recipes that resonated with me and like how they were written. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to write my recipes. Like I'm in the kitchen talking to one of my friends, um, or, you know, one of my friends, they're making a recipe and they call me and they're like, Okay, so it says this, and it looks like this. So what's going on, girl? And that was um, like the familiarity that I wanted to have in my own recipes.
0: Well, we always end with a little game. So I thought um, we would use the our cards that we usually use, but I'm going to have a little twist today so we have two options for you here and we'll we we can do a couple rounds so you can do one of each but typically we play a game that's sort of like a version of chopped where you get some secret ingredients and we see what you make with it um since we're here to talk about your baking book i thought we would keep the theme baking and so i have a card here that has a bunch of produce mostly fruit um, but some produce so we can pick a produce Or if you want to be more adventurous, I will let you also choose from our secret ingredient deck, which uh, can be total wild card. Um, So we could maybe we could do a safer round and a more adventurous round if you want to do it that way, but I'll let you pick, um, we'll start with a a produce and then you would tell us what you might make with that. So if, if you're at home and you have to whip up um, something tonight and this is what, you know, is dropped off at your doorstep and that's what you have to work with, what would you do? Um, So let's start with the, the safer, less risky round and we'll do a produce. So you can choose a number between 31 and 60.
1: I'm going to go with 36.
0: 36. Okay, you got nectarine. So a big box of nectarines just showed up on your front porch and you have to use them today or they're going to go bad. What are you making?
1: I'm making a nectarine upside down cake.
0: Oh, delicious.
1: Just one layer, no fuss, add some almond flour in there. Oh, nectarine and almonds. That's going to be good.
0: That sounds delicious. Maybe a little ice cream on the side.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Let's do one more safe round and then we'll do a more challenging one. Okay. So another I, number between. I cheated, yeah. I
1: cheated on that one. Cause that's one of my New York times cooking recipes.
0: Oh, is it? Okay. So people could actually make it then people yes. can go home. <laughs> yes. After you're listening to this and you can make that nectarine upside down cake.
1: Yeah. Although it might've been apricots, but nectarines are going to be just as good.
0: Sure. All right. Let's do one more from this card. So 31 to 60s are your options.
1: Let's go with 47.
0: 47 is a Tangello.
1: Ooh. Uh, let's do like a tangelo curd.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And then we can, um, we will have a lot of fun. We can put it on French toast. Yeah. We can put it in a tart. Sure. Yeah.
0: That sounds great. All right. Now let's um put you to the test and pick from the secret ingredient deck just to see. And I'm going to show you that I'm drawing. <laughs> randomly, randomly from the middle this is not pre-selected oh okay so it's taylor ham the like processed meat slice fry like pork roll basically
1: oh hmm.
0: so a package of pork I... roll just showed up and you need to use it tonight <laughs> what are okay, we doing i'm gonna
1: take i'm gonna take my like freshly baked brioche out of the oven Okay. And I'm making a croque madame.
0: Oh, that sounds excellent.
1: A sandwich. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, a sandwich. Yes. Making a sandwich. It, well, that was so much fun. Thank you for playing along with our little game. And it was so great to have you on Salt and Spine, Valerie.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. It was great chatting with you.
0: And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our website, saltandspine.com. You'll find featured recipes there from Valerie Lomas's Life is What You Bake It. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also leave us a rating on iTunes or join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan Stewart, and our producer, Cleo Worster. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering both digital and in-person classes for home cooks. Find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks as always to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonamo and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books, and to Monique at Hardcover Cook. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love.